Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we have heartfelt and sacred discussions about our culture, faith, and community. We invite guests who are open and willing to share their journey as they disrupt the silence on their personal and professional interruptions that have impacted their personal and professional lives. Kathy and I are very passionate about every episode and we are committed to providing actionable advice that you can apply to reinvent yourself on your journey and encourage you to create a path toward healing. Our podcast today is titled Resiliency and Resistance. I am one of your co-hosts, Reverend O. And I'm Kathy Patton. You know, I got to get a cool nickname, too. I see you have Reverend O. I'm going to have to change my, maybe what my, my grandbaby calls me, Kit Kat. I'll think about it. Kit Kat? All right, yes. we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you again. It. Welcome back. Well, yeah, yeah, it's been a good week. It's been a good week. And congratulations to you on your most recent book signing. It was a success, wonderful event, and thank you for the invitation. I had a ball. Uh, thank you. It was great to have you there. I'm sure you enjoyed. They said, well, why did you decide to go to Howard University? <laughs> yes, my favorite part, though, was when you talked about how your granddaughter likes pink. So that was that was my favorite. Oh, yes. She not not only does she like pink, she likes pink and green. So there's a big difference. Big <laughs> difference. A big difference. I love it. I love it. And I see we are wearing our shirts, our interruption yes, shirts. Yes, our interruption shirts. Yes, I'm wearing it proudly. It's very comfortable, too. Very comfortable. Yes. Yes, I'm glad you <laughs> like it. So they'll be on our website, um, one of the marketing material that we're going to have available for our, our sponsors who sponsor us. Awesome. Awesome. They'll love it. They will love it. So we want to ask everybody before we get started, you're joining us, please don't forget to click on the subscribe button and subscribe to our podcast. We had a great show last uh, last week. We have some great show today and another one the rest of this year. We're lined up. So let's get started with today. Yes. So today we have a very, very, very special guest, Pastor uh, Reverend Dr. Anthony Bennett. I can't, I can't, I'm going to keep saying that. I'm going to say pastor. And then I I'm know. Saying, I, you know, I keep saying that. It's going to be interchangeable when I'm speaking. I'm going to try and stay with one. I'm I know. <laughs> that's going to be challenging for us. <laughs> it is going to be challenging because we notice it calling pastors. So we want to welcome Reverend Dr. Anthony Bennett to our show. Yes. Glad, glad to be on. Glad and honored to be on Interruptions. I'm glad yes. to interrupt Interruptions. Yes, you are. Welcome, Pastor. Yeah, I know. Then we did again. Oh, Pastor. <laughs> Welcome, Pastor Bennett. You know, so you have to excuse our guests. We are not used to being this formal with our pastor. That's all right. So, Pastor, we know that the world knows you. Um, they can Google you and find out everything they need to about your personal life, your social life, your education. Uh, they can find you on social media. And what we would like to do for you to tell us something about you that people can't find on social media or if they Google you. Well, again, glad to see you all. Someone asked me that question uh, around, it was about about three weeks ago, we were on a discussion. What is it that most people don't know and uh, unless you're in the know? Mm -hmm. And that is 
two of my favorite television shows are the Twilight Zone, Rod Sterling, who's a spiritual person <laughs> before his time, and Columbo. Really? I love Columbo <laughs> because Columbo uh, gives can give the impression that he is not aware of what he's aware of. <laughs> and, and as you know the story, it's it's a wonderful uh, sort of simple kind of storyline, but the twist and the turns is he he just raises questions. He's tenacious, and uh, and ultimately he's a there's more to him that meets the eye. And uh, since this is interruptions, maybe my emotional connection to Columbo is as as a black man there's often ways in which there's more to us than meets the eye and people have impressions on us that uh, that 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 are really touch the surface of who we actually are so maybe that's why i love rod sterling and twilight zone and columbo all right i have to tell you i watch columbo too at night i just binge him it's like it's black and it's black and white, some color, but I just like that show too. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for sharing. So, Pastor, right. our podcast today is resiliency and resistance. And what we'd like to do is ask people about various interruptions in their life that are not always traumatic. So looking back over your life, what would you say was your first interruption in life? Ooh, so that was not traumatic, but it was to, depending on how you how you the degree. Um, I would say when I was called to preach at age seven, that was an interruption that uh, I didn't know any hardly anything about. Uh, Los Angeles back in the late '60s, early '70s, when which as I was growing up uh, was Hollywood and had sort of the image, the rising image because of, of media, of TV preachers. And, you know, my mother and father didn't want me to, to walk in that kind of path. Uh, but yet I knew I had a call. So that was an interruption to, to my childhood, my call. I knew you were going to tell. I knew she you were did. Say, I wish I had. I, I wish did. I had that Odell a turkey burger or something. You can play the lottery. That's all right. Just make sure you tied. You can play your lottery. <laughs> I knew that. I love. I love that story, though. I do. I mm -hmm. love that story, Odell. Um, I when Pastor first came to the, uh, when Pastor Bennett first came to the church, my mother was actually on the search committee, um, looking for a new pastor because Reverend Street was moving on. And she uh, called me at that time, my daughter, well, I had two children, but my daughter was really still young and, you know, we were struggling or I was struggling. And by Sunday, I would be exhausted just having to deal with um, a child with special needs and not knowing how to do that. And so um, my mother called me and just was thrilled about this pastor that they had met. And she just went on and on and on. And she said, oh, and he's just so nice. And I don't know in the process, I don't know when she got to meet Donna, but she, um, your wife, but she yeah. um, also just raved on her. And she was so excited about him coming to the church. And she kept saying, you have to come here. So I actually didn't meet him for a little while because <laughs> it was on Sundays, I just was not 
getting down to the church because I think I was just more mentally exhausted at that time, not knowing that I was. But I, um, when I finally met him, um, just all, just we just clicked at the beginning. He and Donna and just wonderful couple. And so I just wanted to share that story that they have just brought so much joy um, and knowledge to our church and to my per my personal family as well. But she um, she was so thrilled and so. Um, Does, uh, let me tell let me tell you an Let me share an interruption story. <clears throat> does, does, I wonder, does Kathy remember her interruption story with me? You remember no. the first interruption story? What What did I know? Uh, <laughs> Kevin took this out. Wait. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. It was the interruption story, as stories go, around the, you know, I noticed that I got this letter. I got this note. You remember? And the note was, was the essence of the note was very well written and well. It talked about the, the, the pacing of a new pastor and a new church and, and, and the trauma, the traumatic experiences that existing members go through, even though they want the change, um, sometimes the pace of the change is more than they, can, they, they either can or want to deal with. Yes. Oh, oh, Reverend, oh, she was gracious. <laughs> you know, but she was trying to say, slow down. Yeah, people are yeah. for them. I, I said, "Oh, I right. never shared that story with my mother because she would have been mortified. She would have, uh -huh. <laughs> she would have been mortified." But nope, I do remember that. that you remember funny. that? You, you remember that? Memory. That was good. That was. That's good. a good story. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so, pa uh, pastoring is a huge responsibility, personal and and spiritual. In addition to pastoring, you have also taken on the responsibility of hosting Ma'afa. Can you share with us why? Uh, one, in 2002, we invited St. Paul and the particular cast of St. Paul, an abbreviated version of the cast, about 100 cast members and crew, to perform the presentation of their Ma'afa uh, of course, we know the great calamity, the great suffering, the theatrical production. They did that in our uh, family healing conference. We had a family healing conference. And when they did that, it was clear to me and those who were a part of it then that this was more than just a theatrical play. This was a lens and an experience that um, you can't just watch and, and like you would a, a regular production. And so the following year, um, we did the production and with St. Paul. And then 2004, we did our own production, cast and crew of two, 250. It was then that I realized from a pastoral perspective that it wasn't just a play, it was Christian education, it was Christian discipleship, it was church history. It was all the things that we talk about in terms of the wrestling of both faith, uh, why do bad things happen to good people and the resiliency of the people. 
um, to maintain faith, even in the midst of the contradictions and suffering in life. And uh, I think 2004, it was, it was then that I really understood the pastoral understanding and necessity of using theater, uh, creative arts to present issues of faith, contemporary struggle, social justice, uh, and how we can do healing through the arts. Mm -hmm. and that's that's why yes. we did it. Wow. So, you know, that's our mission, Kathy. And yeah. it didn't hit me until just now. Yeah. Wow. So Pastor Odell and I have been doing this podcast over a year now. Amen. And I I just it, it seems odd because when I look back at my life and my time in Mount Airy, I know that Odell wasn't there that entire time, although now it feels like it. Mm -hmm. um, I just remember I remember her not being there. And then just one day I remember this extra person and all this red and white being there. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't remember, I don't, I never asked you this story, Odell, how you got there. And all the time we've been together, I have never asked you um, what your journey was to get to Mount Airy. So how did you get to Mount Airy and how did you get introduced to Pastor? I'll, I'll make this one quick. And Pastor, I hope you remember this story. Mm -hmm. um, his job was posted at Harford Seminary and I ended up applying for the job and me, I, I heard about Pastor Bennett from Reverend McCorn, um, your fraternity brother, who was my pastor mm -hmm. at Barrick. Mm -hmm. So I meet Pastor, I go through the interview process, and he hires me. And I'm wrestling with leaving corporate at the time and then coming into ministry full time. So that was a huge decision. That was a huge interruption mm -hmm. um, at, at that point. And I get the job. And seeing we're talking about the Ma'afa, my first day on the job, Kathy, I'm in pastor's office and I'm excited. My energy's like on fire. And he says, I need a favor of you. Tomorrow, I need you to go to Harford Seminary, do a presentation for six church members who are coming from St. Paul and talk to them about the church life of a lay person and going to seminary school. I said, okay, no problem. I can do that. My first day on the job, who's going to say no? I'm driving up to Hartford. Do you remember this day, Pastor? Uh, vaguely. I'm driving up to Hartford. I'm thinking six people from St. Paul. I'm standing in Hartford Seminary. Up pulls a coach bus. And I'm looking like, what's, what's this bus for? Off comes the bus, 42 people from St. Paul. And Reverend Dr. Johnny Ray Youngblood gets off the bus. And pastor told me that Reverend Youngblood was not going to be present. I called him immediately. My heart was pounding and I'm saying, he's here, he's here. And there's like 42 people here, not six. And he was able to change his schedule and he was en route. I called Bishop Watts. Bishop Watts says, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So, <laughs> In this classroom, I had to rearrange the classroom to make the class look like a classroom. So off to the right is my new boss, Pastor Bennett, my professor and my other boss, Bishop Watts, 
and the Dean of Hartford Seminary. And I give the presentation, I'm answering their questions, everything's going well until Dr. Youngblood says, Odell, can you tell me what part of the book did you like the best? <laughs> and I knew I had not read the entire book. I knew not to lie to him, but I'm looking over at my boss who's in the book, Bishop Watts, who I had to write a paper for in the book and the Dean. And I said, I'm telling the truth. And I told the truth. I didn't read the entire book. I said, six of students, we took sections of the book. We read it. We all got together. We discussed sections and that's how we wrote our paper. And I'm looking off to the side thinking, am I going to get fired? <laughs> um, is Bishop Watts going to be upset with me? And they're laughing, Kathy. They are cracking up on the side of the wall, sweats pouring down my face. And I got through it. I got, I got through it. But that was my first introduction to meeting Reverend Dr. Johnny Ray Youngblood, talking about Upon This Rock because that book is something that we read in seminary schools. And it was huge to finally see this man in person. And he's asking me, what part of the book did you read? And I actually put this story pastor in the book. <laughs> so pastor, is it safe to say that Bishop Johnny Ray Youngblood was your mentor? Yes, he was my mentor. And so how did that feel to know that you were in his book? Uh, well, Sam Friedman wrote the book um, and the, the part that's in the book is when he was out of town um, and pastor, the assistant pastor, pastor at that time, Pastor Douglas Anthony Slaughter was in Zimbabwe with a, a group of students from the, from the church and I preached one Sunday morning about the tragedy of a bad haircut. And uh, and so Youngblood's sermon and my sermon are the two sermons that are in the book. Um, of course, it felt good, uh, honored, uh, and, and yet, you know, being a part of sort of that journey, um, both with Sam Freeman, who, who spent about a year and a half writing the book, um, it was it was just the unfoldment of history and the healing of some of the more tragic interruptions that I had experienced in the church or with the church. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was it was healing. It was healing that whole process at St. Paul. I actually remember my first ma'afa. It was downstairs in Bass Hall, and um, that was when they did the Black Power. They had the Black Panther. And Kathy, I hadn't officially accepted the job, but I saw the Ma'afa. And after that, I stood up and I said, sign me up, I'm in. I said, I'm in. You say that, and I think that's where I remember you first. <laughs> I forgot that. Oh my goodness, I forgot that. I actually remember you there. Yeah, Deacon Hanks was alive. Um, he was in it with his wife, Denise. Yeah. And they did the Black Panther. I said, this is, I'm in, sign me up. I'll take the mm. job. Mm. <laughs> I, that I do. How many, how many Ma'afas ma do you, Kathy, you're the coordinator for Ma'afa. You can handle the logistics because there are times you tell me what to do and I do it. 
And how many Ma'afa have we hosted? Do you all know? I know, because you start. You said 2003, 2004 was the first one. 2002. Right? So every year since 2002, so that's, what, 19 years, with the yeah. exception of one, maybe two years that we didn't have it. So probably around 15 or 16 years that we've done them here in Connecticut. Okay. Um, and in South Carolina and New York and a couple other places. I believe you did it at the Schubert also in New Haven. Yeah, New Haven. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a memory. I know. It's been it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I, I do want to stay on that track, but I do want to go back and ask Pastor um, a question to talk about another um, interruption now. Um, so the pandemic hit as a pastor. How many people? Um, how many people were you? We, you were a pastor. You're a black man. You're a father, mm -hmm. husband, grandfather, fraternity brother. So during that time of the pandemic, how many people do you, you think you were, and were you able at any point during that time just to be Anthony? So I'm. I was going to bring it in. I'll answer that question by. But if you don't mind reading a profile, since this is Clergy Appreciation Month, oh. <laughs> can I can I read this for you? Yes, yes. Right. This is a repost from a dear sister, Reverend Cynthia Turner Wood, who pastors Dayspring uh, Church in Maryland. She reposted this from Benjamin Kevin Smalls, and I think it'll get to to your question. I wanted to compile a list a list for pastor's appreciation. Your pastor may never tell you the things below, so I will laugh out loud. Here goes. The truth of your pastor, pastors. They are actually human beings. They experience anger, joy, worry, happiness, pain, sorrow, grief, and excitement. They, like you, are only human. They are imperfect, enough said. Most of them are gifted in one or two ways, but are often expected to operate out of 10 or more gifts, most of which just aren't their own. They are under extraordinary public pressure, scrutiny, and criticism. Some are effective, some not so much, but both deserve love and grace. They make mistakes, miscalculations, and are often forced to take incredible risks. Their families often fall second place to their mm -hmm. pastoral responsibilities. They too have personal challenges, family, financial, health, spiritual, and even faith. They are not professional Christians as there is no such thing. They have good days and bad days. They don't always get to preach well, get to every individual, address every need, have something amazingly profound and deep to say. They aren't God. Sometimes they just miss things and that's all. But they are wonderfully made, marvelously gifted and anointed. They bring their own called gifts and talents to your congregational setting. 
They are set aside by God to do impossible things, only made possible by the same God uh, who does the impossible things. So go ahead. They bring their call. They set aside by God to do the impossible things, only made possible by, by that same God. So go ahead and send them a word of thanks for Pastor Appreciation Month. It's a great source of encouragement. So the, the interruptions that, that a pastor and this pastor in particular, all those roles that you rattled off um, is I got to, and I don't mean this in any, any way, but the reality, um, some of the comments from the sister, uh, someone just said, so the bottom line is you all are human. And we were like, oh yeah, right? <laughs> So like, what else are we? Um, so I'm Anthony and all of those things. Um, and, the, and the more I'm aware of interruptions and the more I'm aware of the trauma that has been induced uh, on me as, as vicarious trauma. And then also the role that we, that we play, those many roles that we play the more settled I can become in them, so that um, though there are though there have been interruptions, um, at least to 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 my understanding of what it means to be Anthony, who is Anthony, and when am I not Anthony? You know, I'm you know on, on some level I'm never not Anthony. Um, I think the, the the journey of life says who is Anthony. And okay. it's like, who is, who is the human being? And I think many people project so many different things upon Anthony, who is whatever they feel the, whoever that role is, needs to be. Um, and so I think the, the synthesis of all of this is, is on some level, it certainly is not sympathy or empathy but it is the understanding that all of us are human and all of us deal with particularities and all of us must manage those particularities. Um, I know colleagues and friends um, who, who struggle with all of those roles and I struggle too, yet I'm thankful um, for community and support that allows me to um, to set some levels of boundaries of mm -hmm. how Anthony shows up as pastor and how Anthony shows up as fraternity person and how Anthony shows up as community leader has how Anthony shows up. There's never a moment where I'm not Anthony. It's only the, the interruption. It's almost like y'all, y'all are interrupting me being Anthony. So I got to put, so put on, I got to put on for y'all because you, you don't want to know Anthony. You want to know who Anthony becomes for you. That's a good way of looking at it. You know, no, when we were talking about the show and talking about my author, Kathy says that because the question was, who comes up with the themes? We've had various themes for Ma'afa over the year and the themes change based on what's going on socially and, I, and, 
and culturally. Kathy seems to think that you talk about gifts, that you come up with the themes like magic. How do you, is there a process that you come up with the themes for the Ma'afa? There's not a mechanical process. It's more of intuitive uh, kind of exploration, listening, hearing where people are. And I think some of you know, when we started Ma'afa, it was Ma'afa influence, evoking the pain of the past, building a strong and powerful future. Hmm. Oftentimes we, we're in that conundrum or that rhythm and flow between how much of evoking the pain do we need to do, how much of building a strong and powerful future. And you live in the tension between telling the truth of what he is and yet also representing the stories of faith, even in the midst of the fuzziness. Um, and I think over the years, I've, I mean, it's on some level, it's pastoring, it's, and you don't always get it right, but you forgive yourself and you move forward. What I mean by that is, um, for instance, you know, beyond, beyond our own context, I asked uh, Pastor Starsky Wilson, who came to preach for one of the Ma'afas, I said, uh, man, do you all, when you were, he was a pastor at, in Ferguson, uh, or fluorescent um, Missouri, but he was very vocal, very visible, national prominence because of the Ferguson uprising after the, the murder of Mike Brown. And I asked him, I said, Doc, do, do you all, did you all talk about Ferguson every Sunday? He said, no, man, we couldn't talk about it. We were living Ferguson. Hmm. And we weren't in denial, but sometimes we just needed a shift and a change of pace. And, you know, that just confirmed in me in terms of pastoring, pastoring, you know, leading people, it's a rhythm. And as that statement that I read, you know, you know, we don't always know how much of what side and what rhythm to share. So over the years, we've wrestled with how much of evoking the pain, how much of building a strong and powerful future. This particular year, um, I was thinking about and listening to and talking and experiencing like many pastors. So it's not just my experience, but it's the experience of many of the pastors that I've spoken to locally around Connecticut and around the country. And that is this pandemic has forced us to be distant from our, our, our congregation, from the usual pattern. And, and more than we will know, pastors have been interrupted. And that interruption um, has impacted how we present to the congregation. And, and then it, it hit me. Do I need to keep preaching about how bad things are? Mm. Or do I need to keep, or do I need to, do I need to also talk about in spite of how things have been, our people still find a way to smile. And that's why they could sing, there's a bright side somewhere. They were not disconnected to their reality, but they were able to transcend their reality. And as the scriptures, even when they weren't able to read it, they lived the scriptures that said that they would call those things that are not as though they were. And so it just, it just shared with me that we're not just gonna talk about this year 
the the how bad the pandemic, how bad racism. But we want to talk about the resiliency of our people, the resistance, because the narrative that sometimes we can get is either, you know, that the people just, you know, bid it and just went along with it. And that's a narrative. But that's not all of the stories. There were people who resisted and even those who went along resisted in their own ways. We are probably more familiar with the movie, The Help, where uh, the sister who was let go of by the white uh, home oh. caretaker, she was dismissed, came back with a pie that had a particular <laughs> ingredient in it. All right, that was her act of rebelliousness and resistance and resilience. But she that that is one act in the line or one action in a long line of people. And so this year we wanted to explore, you know, not just how people make, you know, pies and stuff, but 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 how have we as a people resisted and how have we been resilient in the face of all these odds? Because I think if we need anything right now in this climate, in this culture, it is to know, and I say it, I hope I won't get in trouble saying this, we got to say every now and then, damn it, I'm going to live. This ain't going to take me down. I may be down, I may be out, but I am going to make it. And it's that will, and, and, and as you read the slave narratives, as you read the stories, as you look at our history, we are also a people of resiliency. And, and so I wanted, even in COVID, those that will perform, it will be our young brothers, Tanisi Davis and Jamar Gardner, who were sort of raised in Mount Airy. They will be the principal characters in this, uh, this abridged version of the Ma'afa production. And uh, it will be, it, they will share stories that still connect us to the pain of our past and present. But, but even in the midst, how have we been able to build a strong and powerful future through resiliency and resistance that has come in a variety of ways? Pastor, I remember coming into your office after my brain aneurysm and I was, you and I were in your office and I don't remember for what reason, but the look on your face looking at me was like you saw a ghost. Mm. And it was unsettling and it's like, okay, am I, is, is, am I is something wrong? Am I wearing the wrong colors? Did I do something? And I asked you, I said, what's the look on your face? I something's wrong. And you said you were supposed to be dead. Mm. The doctors told us to, Jackie, my daughter called him and said, the mm. doctor said, plan her funeral. Mm -hmm. And he said, and to see you sitting here, I'm wrestling with this. And I could see the joy and the, like the woosah moment of looking mm -hmm. at me. And mm -hmm. that was probably the first time that it became real to me that I fought through, that I was mm -hmm. fighting through because I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful, powerful testimony. You know, into um, someone shared it was Bishop Guy Robinson. I'm a part of a cohort of about 35 pastors through Lily Grant with that Hampton Ministers Conference uh, facilitates uh, Dr. Hagens um, and uh, Dr. Terry Hannett. 
And um, um, we actually met for the first time um, January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit talking about pre pastors of pastoring with imagination leading god's people and many and the, the the prophetic call came um bishop walter scott thomas and pastor um billy curtis william curtis they all talked about how the church has to reimagine itself uh that was january february of 2020 and then boom the pandemic hit Mm-hmm. We we weren't able to meet during the pandemic, but last week or week before last, we regathered a uh, combination of cohorts, uh, about 35 of us virtually. And one of the presenters talked about uh, Bishop Guy Robinson. He spoke very powerful word. He's a pastor and mental health clinician, psychologist. And he spoke about the difference between interruptions and transformation, where he said interruptions uh, in the way that he put it uh, can be defined as the lights go out, the electricity goes out, power outage on the block. That's the interruption. So that the assumption when the eruption, interruption is over and the power is restored, you can resume utilizing those utensils, those appliances in the way that you had before. Transformation comes when you realize that what you knew before the inter or the transformation and then what has happened since the transformation are two different realities. And right now the church, black community, we're wrestling between what is an interruption like the power going out and what is total transformation meaning our lives are going to be different our worship our experience how we understand god and faith uh is going to be different i think the ma'afa was a precursor or was or has been a descriptive a a theatrical description of how we as black people have 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 managed interruptions that that resume and then interruptions that becomes transformative occurrences in our lives where we learn how to uh, how to adjust to the transformation of whatever has happened uh in our lives i think i think every year uh my offer is different and i think every year you get a, a different message i know um initially when i first started getting involved people would ask me the next year well how is this different i did i saw it last year and i said because you're different our story is different and i know one of one of the mantras that you share with us is that in order for us to appreciate where we are and where we're going we have to understand where we've come from and so that is what i would repeat to people that would question that um, over the years, our ma'afa has changed. We've gone from a cast of what, almost almost 200, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still telling a story and we have been resilient in this. And I think one of the most powerful years for me was during the time we were doing a school production. And normally 
um, before the production, I would um, kind of get the church prepared and hang up pictures around for because we had a waiting area and kind of just decorate it um, with historical information from, from our past. And I remember this particular year as I was hanging up the pictures, um, hanging up pictures of Dr. Martin Luther King, hanging up the pictures of the trauma that we went through with the dogs and, and, the, and the hoses um, being directed at people. I remember each, each picture I was hanging up. I would say that for my, my generation, this is the last generation that will live having remembered those incidences because we were alive when those things were happening. And after the school production, there was this one teacher, I would always walk the classes back to their bus and thank them for coming. And there was this one teacher uh, that shook my hand and she was so adamant about shaking my hand. She used both of her hands to mm. shake my hand. And as she, she, I mean, she said, thank you. I needed this uh, for myself, for my family and, and the children in our school needed, needed to hear this. Um, but as she was shaking my hand, I felt the energy leaving from my body. That yeah. she needed something at that moment that was being taken away from my my energy. And it was still okay. But her her gratitude was such that she that she was in awe of what she had just witnessed. And as I was walking up the hill, I just thought I was tired, you know, overtired because yeah. we do so much before the production. Yeah. And right. so I just made sure I got extra rest over the next couple of days. And there was a deacon always on Sunday, you bring the cast and the crew together and you pray for us after um, the production. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and there was a deacon that traveled from out of town. He was part of our production in the past years, but he traveled up here again that year. And he happened to be standing by me and he was holding my hand. And he said to me, he said, wow, what is up with you? I said, mm. what are you talking about? He says, I feel that. And I just didn't recognize that I, my body, my mind was going through something at that mm. moment that it was still, yes. it was still, a, uh, um, still left over of what this teacher had taken from me, but he felt it. Mm. And so for Ma'afa, that's what I, I try to share with anyone when I talk about Ma'afa. Everyone is going to experience something different. And you mm -hmm. have to be willing to talk about what you're going through, what you, what you witnessed. You are going to leave with something. You're going to leave with questions. You're going to leave with answers. You're going to leave with tears. You're going to leave with laughter. So it is a different message every year. And it depends on what that person is coming in and actually needs in their life at that moment. And I believe that there's a lot of answers that, that with a lot of answers as well when when they have witnessed our production. What I what mm -hmm. I anticipate or what I sense um, the analogy of both a sprint and a relay. A sprint deals with sort of a singular person, a spotlight on a particular person. Relay deals with a succession of people um, that each have a leg to run. I think the, the, the American cultural landscape looks for that shining star. America's got talent, the next shining star. 
and we sort of look at these productions as who's the star, all that kind of stuff, which again, we all are products of that. That's a part of our coping. But I think what Ma'afa challenges us to do is to lift up these historic figures and these present day figures as like Ruby Sales shared with us, she is not an idol, an icon. Uh, Ruby Sales, famous yeah. civil rights, what we call an icon. She yeah. said she's not an icon um, because that, that puts her on the track of a sprinter, of a star, you know, the singular person, excuse me, versus the relay. She is one in the line of many who've come before her and 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 now she is she's telling the story and you know when her eyes close on this side she'll she'll continue to pass the baton on and um and share the share the story so you know when i first started you say well what's the difference i think for me the renewed difference is i'm not just presenting a product a play for people to see and say, okay, that was nice, good actors, all that stuff. Whether people get it when they see it or whether they get it years afterwards, we're continuing to tell the story. We have the baton now. And what we do, because there have been churches, you know, throughout the history of America that have told Ma'afa stories. They might have done it the way that we're doing it but they've shared stories. And so we are we are one in a succession and a line of men and women, some more famous, some not as famous, um, that that we've got to keep the story alive. So I think the the every now and then, because we do it so much, every now and then, because I think it was Pastor uh, Thomas Williams who said that, you know, because we've been blessed at Mount Airy and blessed at St. Paul, blessed with with this consortium, there's a way in which we sort of expect it. But like anything, we can get used to it. Mm. And the 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 upside, I, I just call it a blessing, but the upside of this pandemic, just as with pastors, it has sort of made us refocus on what what are the what is the purpose? Why do we do what's what's faith in our own lives? I think this pandemic has also called us to say, let's not get caught up in the theatrical production itself, but let's talk about what is the what, what are we sharing my offer for, and and how does faith? What is the intersection between faith and culture and 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 our fight and discipleship? Uh, what is that intersection? So, so yes, you know, a long way of saying people are going to get different things. Um, what I'm praying that people get is they engage and allow themselves to, to engage. One of the things that, and I think, you know, she will share, you know, more in her own way. But one of the things that Donna shared with me recently, um, and I'm sure she would not mind me sharing it as she, she, we talked about it a little bit openly, um, because of our own personal interruption um, with our daughter Brittany dying so suddenly and we um, you know having to navigate that as public figures um, and 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 still like everybody else who lose family has to eventually go back to job where the, you know my job is working through people with their with their grief and and yet you know I can't necessarily take the time off 
um, you know, at least, you know, not in the immediate. So, and neither could Donna, um, extended time. And so about three or four weeks ago, she said, um, I think my grief is catching up with me. I think it was Pastor Nancy that said that grief has to come up and author she, uh, grief has to come up to breathe every now and then. Mm-hmm. And I think the telling of our story has to breathe. You know, you could, we can just want to just talk about all the glitz and glamours and of how far we've come, but we also have to tell the story, the grief, the stories uh, of people who, who sacrificed um, in small and large ways uh, for us to enjoy this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. to enjoy a lot of the things that we may take for granted or assume uh, we deserve or entitled to. And that's one of the things that we talk about and I share a lot is in my grief, I didn't take the time to honor the grief and went back to work too soon, didn't respect it, didn't respect the process and fell. I had a hard time with that. And that was a huge, uh, which led to a second interruption, which was the brain aneurysm. And it's difficult to deal with because like you said, we have to stop and because it will catch up with us. And it's something that we teach that we talk about here is taking time for emotional wellness. Don't forget to take care of yourself because like you said in your opening, you're human. Mm-hmm. You know, you may be Anthony, you may be a pastor, you you may be all these, you are all these things, but you're still human. And you have to take care of that human side of you. And that's that's a statement for most pastors that <clears throat> the only humanness that we sort of see in pastors is some um, personal indiscretion or irresponsibility. We don't see the full breadth of, mm. of the humanness or we don't, you know, and, and on some level it may or may not be depending on, but I think it is the, the role and responsibility of pastors to to resist the urge so you know to to resist to resist themselves resist the 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 urge to to deny grief because grief happens not just with physical death but it happens transition transition of mm-hmm. of um seasons it happens as people leave and you poured into them and they don't tell you why they've left um, and, you know, and so there's a lot of uh, unresolved grief, um, that you experience because in, because, because we are traumatized people, it's difficult to talk through, uh, uh, conflict and grief in faith communities. And so what we end up doing, we go to that, pl- to, we often go to that next place. Rare is a place where you can, you can have those kinds of healing, healing and therapeutic encounters yes. where both pastor and people are able to grow uh, from that experience. Um, you know, I will say it's a plug for his book, but I think it's also, um, it's been my own journey. Um, dear uh, Morehouse brother, Pastor D. Daryl Griffin, uh, has been in Mount area a couple of times. He has, he is a, a pastor in Chicago, um, but he's also a, an author and a coach of leadership development and coach of the ideogram. 
and the ideogram speaks to sort of the shaping and how we are individually wired and on some level how we pro how you know depending on how you're wired is going to depend on how you respond to grief and respond to uh the pandemic and how you engage um you know the trauma the interruption of this pandemic has has given us that that thin line mm -hmm. do we go back do we not go back you know yes. and and you know the way that faith sort of intersects the decision that people make uh do you, if you go back are you being reckless if you stay home are you living in fear and not faith all those interruptions that on some level are extensions of the ma'afa experience and presentation that we have yeah. This summer, Kathy and I spent, um, we did some training this summer uh, with, with a program that we put together called Let's Talk. And it mm -hmm. talks about being able to be resilient and taking mm -hmm. a look at trauma through your faith, your culture, your education, your zip code, your life, your what your ancestors have taught you. And we heard a lot of conversations from church members in terms of how they're struggling with their faith and trauma. And what do I say? What do I deal with? What do I tell my pastor? What do I not share with my pastor? Do I go to counseling? Um, what do we do? So those conversations were enlightening and freeing. And we saw a lot of people just take a deep breath and to say, it's good to be able to go back and take a look at what I was told, what I was taught and be able to deal with so that I can feel good. I can feel better because we deserve to feel better. It's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a part of what I, what I often share is um, if you purchased a book, used to share a, a cassette or a, a CD, but now every, everything is downloadable. But if you purchase that, a book, digital book, but then a year passes and you don't you don't listen to the sermon or the talk or read the book, but then you pick it up and then you gain all these insights. Um, the question is, you know, was the book any less true before you did it, before you read it? <laughs> it was there. It was like one, um, what I've often shared, as you all know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So, you know, grief is not going anywhere. Trauma is not going. And when we're ready, to, as we're ready to deal with it, then it will it will breathe and we can breathe. Um, but Teresa Cherry Cruz, who's um, uh, great, pe great people, former director of our total program, child enrichment program, literacy program. She talked about the reality that all of us come with different uh, levels and stages of readiness. Yes. And uh, I think a part of the church's journey is to journey with people as they journey. Um, even some of the same people who, through their own struggle, won't give the same church the same kind of, of, of you know, the same kind of journey. You know, the, the expectation from the church side is that we're, we're yet another consuming product that people mm -hmm. consume. And uh, and so the, the 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 dilemma, as you said, do I tell my church? Do I not tell my church? And again, every church can be different. Uh, I think what we sought to do here at Mount Airy, here at uh, through the Maafa, is to say we don't know it all, but and we don't know everybody's journey. 
but the Ma'afa production can be a part of the healing journey. As Dr. Johnny Ray Youngblood shared um, in their Ma'afa back in the day, just like any addiction, the way out is back through. Mm -hmm. So you got to face it in order to liberate yourself from it. So before we end, we have to ask you when we know the answer to this, but we want to hear it from you. So when is what's the dates for the Ma'afa and how do people get tickets? Well, um, <laughs> the Ma'afa production is a part of the whole week. The week begins Sunday, October the, the 31st uh, at 9.30 a.m. with our regular morning worship and child dedication, where we are dedicating children to back to the Lord, those who parents or godparents have uh, signed up. On Thursday, November the 4th, first come, first serve, seating, free, uh, to the public, we're going to have what we call a night of healing, care for the caregivers. In that night, on that night, we're going to have Dr. Melanie Hill, who is professor of English at Rutgers University, uh, yet more specifically, a fellow at the uh, School of Sacred Music at Yale uh, University. And she is uh, just an awesome violinist she is going to give words of exhortation and play uh, the instrument of the violin in, in efforts to heal, to encourage uh, those who care for others, whether it's a formal caring like a nurse or a doctor or a teacher, or whether it's informal in your own home where you're taking care of a spouse, a family member, a friend. Um, and so at 7 p.m., we want people to come on November the 4th. And then on November the 6th, 7 p.m., we will have the Ma'afa theatrical production uh, this year formed uh, by Tanisi Davis and Jamar Gardner. And our very own Kathy Patton can tell us how you get tickets for that. Yes, you can get tickets on Eventbrite. That was a good rollover, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a great commercial. We I talk about flow. flow. We got your flow. We got flow here. <laughs> you can get tickets on Eventbrite. You can also get tickets at the office during the week, and then also after uh, every Sunday service. And I will be there this Sunday uh, with tickets in the narthex right after our morning service. So thank you. So, Pastor, again, thank you so much for agreeing to, to share yes. with us uh, on you. our podcast. What Odell and I try to do is to expose that a life interruption can sometimes be traumatic or just an interruption in our lives that can be temporary or permanent and have an effect on our perspective of life. What we have moved to do is to initially, when we were talking about our own personal interruptions in our life, recognize that we needed to move to a time of healing. And so we have been spending time with people and in, in, uh, discussions in our podcast to share how we have moved from that transition in our life into healing now. And so we encourage, we thank you for being so diligent in all that you do, uh, sharing yourself. We thank your family for sharing you as well, um, but also that you have, you continue to bring the message of Ma'afa and moving us into that point of healing in our lives. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you all. Y'all keep doing a great job and encouragement and uh, uh, whatever way we can support, we want to continue. Uh, e even when it interrupts our lives. <laughs> we want to be supportive. All Blessings. Right.
So thank you everyone for joining us and please remember to click the subscribe button and look for future podcasts.